0: What up? What's going on, man? Bro, I just went to the Louis C.K. show at Madison Square Garden this past weekend.
1: Oh, nice. How, how was it? It's been a long was, time since I've been to a comedy show.
0: Have you even been to any comedy shows? I don't know if you've ever told me. I've been me. to lots
1: of comedy shows back in San Francisco, mm. like pre-pandemic. I used to go uh, with Celeste all the time.
0: Uh, I wasn't seeing Louis C.K.
1: He's a pariah. He's been, I mean, he like masturbated in front of a bunch of women and (laughs) I thought that was a wrap for him.
0: Yeah, exactly. So actually, um, you know, Dan Shively, right? It's like, yeah, my best friend from San Francisco, he was a comedian and he's the only reason I would have gone to the show because it's all super controversial is like Dan just messaged me out of the blue and he's like, hey man, I got three tickets to Louis C.K. Like, do you want to go? It's going to be in Madison Square Garden. He was flying from Arizona. So I'm like, all right, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I brought my girlfriend along. She didn't tell any of her friends that she was coming. We get there. It's hilarious. It's like, you know, 10 men for every woman that you see, like, just around in Madison Square Garden. Every single one of the women clearly is just, like, the wife or the girlfriend of some guy that they're with. There are no no groups of women. There are no, like, gay men, right? It's exactly the kind of crowd that you would expect. Like, a bunch of, like, white, like, 20s and 30s guys. And then even the show itself was hilarious because... The first joke that he makes is like, thank you guys all for coming. Uh, I know every single person here has someone in their life that doesn't know th- where they are. They, like you lied to about what you were doing <laughs> on this on a Saturday night. I don't know. I'm not going to spoil the set. Uh, but it actually was really funny because the, I was there with Dan. Dan spent five years like really seriously trying to become a comedian. And I don't know. If, did I tell you about the time that Dan and I went to an open mic? in San Francisco?
1: Yeah, you told me. This is because you did uh, stand-up yourself too, I think. And you had never done stand-up before, so you just kind of like did it. And then, did you do good? Did you bomb? I can't. This is
0: exactly thing. the exact same thing as like, it's like, I don't even agree that I did stand-up. It was, he wanted to to do stand-up and he's like, hey, I'm gonna do open mic and I need you to be a good friend and come with me so that if I bomb, like you can bomb before me. And it was the worst experience I've ever had. It was good, it was, it was a fun <laughs> learning experience. But dude, I don't know if I told you like the details. Are we had like a gentleman's agreement where we're like, okay, i am I'm gonna have like a five minute set, he's gonna have a five minute set, we prepared him, but we like we're like, we're gonna walk in separately. This is like, you know, in San Francisco, just a small bar, like fifty people and a you know, a lonely mic on a stage. And we like went in and pretended that we didn't know each other. And the idea was that like he would sit you in the middle support and be, each other and like laugh at my jokes. that's genius. You <laughs> right, have a plant right. in
1: the audience. Most exactly, genius.
0: and I was gonna be the plant for him, but I go first, and my my like, first off, my set sucks. So every joke that I give, he's laughing hysterically, and the entire room is dead silent. Um, dude, uh, we
1: got we got Sean here and Ben. Hey guys, can you hear us? Yeah, what's up, guys? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, what's up? What's up, dude? Sean, I love your setup. You are you're a pro Thanks. right now.
2: Yeah, we got uh, we got like pimp my studio out.
1: Yeah, let me tell you a story. Okay, it's probably been like a year since we last spoke. I moved to Seattle. I completely got out of the tech game. Like half the people I know in San Francisco, I don't even talk to anymore. Almost none of my <laughs> friends in Seattle know anything about tech or startups. They don't even know what I do. Like I tell them what I do, and they just look at me like with their eyes crossed. But the other day, I was sitting next to my girlfriend, and she was checking her email. And I see these like two little diamond emojis in her inbox. I'm like, what is that? And it says, it's your fucking e- newsletter in her <laughs> inbox. It says Sean Purry Five Tweet Tuesday. And I'm like, wait a minute, Sarah. Like, how did you how did you find like Why are you subscribed to this? And she didn't even remember. She's like, oh, it's just interesting. I like this. I like this guy. So in my mind, I'm like, holy shit, Sean has made it. He's crossed over, sliding
2: into your girl's DMs <laughs> <laughs> with my newsletter. How dare you! Uh, you're mainstream
1: now, man. You're huge. Like you're like I feel like you've made it as a content creator.
2: Well, I, at least at least I've made it. That's the one thing that I always wanted was the tagline of being of having made it. You know, it's funny. I, uh, a long time ago, I was doing my first startup when I was like maybe 21 years old, and we had this terrible idea, but at the time we thought genius idea to somehow we were going to promote our restaurant startup through viral YouTube videos. And I was, I really, if we were honest with ourselves, we just thought going viral would be cool. Uh, but we just wrapped it as a justification to waste a bunch of time trying to go viral. So one of the things we did was um, a challenge where we would brush our teeth with wasabi because we were starting a sushi restaurant. Huh. And um, so we did this thing where we brushed our teeth with wasabi, and then we're like, you know, spitting it out. It's terrible. It's like, you know, your mouth's burning or whatever. Video doesn't go viral, maybe 400 views or something <laughs> like that, which like, honestly, I give myself a little credit for That was actually a good idea for for a channel, just like, you know, punking yourself, basically. I think that's a lot of big channels have been built that it's way.
0: It's a very now. Mr. Beast bit right
2: there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Nelk Boys, Jackass <laughs> type of thing. And so we um, then later I was at a casino one time and this guy points at me and he goes, and this is like, you know, more recent. And I think. He, all right, this guy recognizes me. He's gonna say something about the podcast or the newsletter mm-hmm. or Milk Road or something like that. He goes, "You're the wasabi guy." <laughs> <What>? <laughs> he goes, "I saw you brush your teeth with wasabi," and I was like, "Wow, that's uh, that's amazing!" Like a decade later, this is uh, like that 400 views is still paying off. Like somehow. one of the
1: only 400 people on earth who know you from that. And
2: everybody else knows And you. recognize me because I look a little bit different than I do. And you're just like, 21. thank God, you know, that's what I wanted to be known for.
1: Worth Finally. It. Yeah, exactly. Somebody. Finally. I
2: knew it. It was like a <laughs> I told you so moment, but there was no one to tell. Uh, <laughs> at
1: Dude, the time. your your numbers are huge. Like, I think last year you came on the Indie Hackers podcast. That was like a year and a half ago. And you were doing like a few hundred thousand downloads a month, which at that time was already bigger than any hackers. Like, I'm like, you know, around that number. And then now you're like, I think my first million, you and Sam get like two million downloads a month. Is that
2: right? Yeah, something like that. That's
1: yeah. a ridiculous amount of traffic and like listeners. And I'm thinking, do you guys monetize from ads? Do you actually, or does HubSpot?
2: Well, we basically sold all the ad inventory to oh, HubSpot. Oh, shit. So HubSpot runs all the ads, but that's okay. It's, it's still good. Like uh, that just means we don't have to do ad sales because as it grows, we get paid more. Right. So it's not like, uh, like oh, it's basically okay. just saying somebody pre-bought all of the inventory at a set rate. And then if we grow, we get paid more. Which Are is, you, like, getting
1: uh, a cut of the ad revenue? Because I feel like the ad revenue is, like, I don't know what yeah, podcast fair, ads. It's like.
2: The more downloads we get, the more we get paid. Right.
1: That's a sweet deal, dude. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but you can do whatever side projects you want. So you and Ben here started uh, a newsletter. This one my girlfriend doesn't subscribe to, that I know of, uh, called <laughs> The Milk Road. It's a crypto newsletter. I want to talk about that because you just sold it. And yeah. you guys could do anything. Could do whatever you want. Why did you start a newsletter about crypto like what what's the origin well, story first
2: here? let me let me introduce ben because i think people don't know the main the, the the real main character of a lot of my uh stuff is ben actually so this is ben levy he uh we met a couple, couple years ago and it was sort of just like he was in a mastermind group that i was putting together where uh, there was like six ceos or something like that and his business was actually somewhat boring it was like you know doing well but it was like kind of a boring business his updates were always yeah, you could tell he wasn't even that excited about it but every time somebody else in the group had something, he had like the most on-point strategy or advice or just like cut to the chase kind of like um, comment. And so I was like, I like this guy, Ben. And I was like, he seems kind of bored with his business. I wonder if I could just pitch him like, yo, let's do something Quit else. Your thing. <laughs> come work on yeah, my like, Hey, what if you just stopped? And, um, and he was also just like, yeah, actually, let's try something. And so we tried one project. It went well. And then we tried another. And now we've done like four or five things together, the latest of which was, the Milk Road.
1: So why I do a newsletter. I mean, like, was it to make money? Uh Was it just because it was fun? Uh, obviously, like, it did very well, but like, what's the point? What's going through your head is like, this is the thing that we can work on together.
2: Two reasons. One was, we thought it would work. So, a lot of people overestimate, like, how much they love one topic. I think I kind of underestimate that winning, like, just succeeding is in itself pretty fun. And so, I had a very high conviction that this would work. So, I was like, okay, I know I'll have fun simply from the fact that this is going to work. And we can talk about why I thought it was going to work. But the second thing is me and Ben had been increasingly interested in crypto. So I have this like, you know, philosophy, which is sort of like, how do I give myself an excuse to do the thing that I'm already spending my extra hours doing? Meaning like if my if my interest is always already going in that way, can I productize that? Can I Can I wrap that into a business? And I don't always, but this one I was like, I clearly could. We were like, you know, a newsletter, probably not the biggest business, but it would work. It would be a business. The second thing was like, this will be a great excuse to force ourselves to learn about crypto every day and meet a bunch of other people in the space. And I told Ben at the beginning, I was like, probably some investment we're going to make off of this is going to make us more money than the newsletter Mm. will basically just create a surface area for serendipity. Create just like a bunch of space for good luck to happen because I figured crypto was where a lot of luck was going to happen. So that was the mentality going in. And um, there was just a bunch of like good inspiration for why we thought this might work.
1: Do you think that uh, that's how it turned out? That an investment or two that you've made from your newsletter has made you more money? Or do you think like selling your newsletter and, and having ads on there maybe, made you more? Maybe
2: the opposite, <laughs> maybe the opposite. We made a bunch of money selling the newsletter, but one of the things we did to promote the newsletter was, then uh, you could describe my, my, my what I thought was a genius marketing move that actually turned out to not be so genius.
3: Yeah. I mean, the way we, the hook initially was like, Hey, we're going to put a million dollars into crypto. And this was like, this is about a year ago when crypto is still in the bull market. We were like, we're going to put a million dollars into crypto and we're going to turn it into 10 this year. Uh, I think we put 250 K into Luna
2: subscribe to the newsletter to see how we do it. Right. This was like a, it was like bait. It was like, watch me try to turn one into 10. And, um, that was pretty juicy. But we instead turned a million into like two (laughs) hundred (laughs) thousand. Just losing
1: money in public is is one of the best marketing hooks. I think.
0: Let me mention something that I think is really brilliant and super underrated in what you just said, which is the process of like selecting a thing to work on, especially if you, let's just be honest, like you're kind of in this position where you kind of have fuck you money. You have a lot of different options. Um, So many people think, well, what am I passionate about already? And I want to go work in that. One of the cool ways to like create passion is just to enter a space and then win in it. And then you end up getting all these other byproducts and, and like, you know, sort of happy outcomes. You, you learn a lot about crypto. You make a lot of different connections with people, etc. You're et doing what
1: you want and you're doing something that makes money. And like that intersection is where you want to be.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I did a kind of an audit, which was like, yo, what do I want to do? I was like, what do I want to do? And at first I was thinking, I think the way most people think, which is like, what should I do with my life, my career? And I thought about like, you know, some like distant goal, like, oh, I want to make this much money or I want to uh, achieve X and change the world and whatever. And and there was something that just wasn't sitting right with me about that way of thinking. And I, fe- I felt like it was a little bit just too artificial. It was like, um, this sounds good, but I don't really know, like it sounds good when I tell people. And it's almost like I'm performing for them with check out my ambition. And instead I was like, what do I actually want? What do I actually want? And I was like, let me zoom all the way back into today. Like what is a great day feel like today? Forget what career, what my long-term plans and ambitions are like tomorrow, what would make that day really enjoyable? Like what's an average day need to look like That includes work because I don't, I'm not satisfied if I just like do nothing. Like that's actually pretty boring for me. Um, So I'm going to work, but what type of work is actually fun to do on a day-to-day basis so that the day itself is the payoff, not I'm going to grind it out and suffer for some future payoff um, that like, you know, may or may not ever come. And I did that for like all of my twenties. You know, in my early twenties, it was like grind, suffer, sleep in the office, um, future payoff, billionaire on the cover, you know, Forbes 30 to 30, whatever the stupid goals I had was, that was like a way I thought about things. And now I'm like, what does a perfect Tuesday look like? I'll like, say, all right, I wake up. i wake up without an alarm clock. That would be nice. Right. Uh, cool. Uh, opening part of my calendar is clear. I, maybe I'll just check in with kind of like the, I like. I don't want to work totally alone. I don't like that. Let me check in with my one business partner early in the day. We kind of riff on what would make today. Great. Right. And then, I don't want to have a bunch of employees that I'm like managing, and one I that I don't want my calendar to look like that. I don't want my calendar to be a bunch of calls. And so I really just zoomed in on what's a great day, and I realized in that process, as I, ma- I literally mapped out like a schedule of a great average day. And I, by the way, I think everybody should do this. You should you should map out a perfect Tuesday for you, and it includes all the little things. Like you know, I'm like I realized I was like, dude, one of the best parts of every day is like when I shower. I just I love taking a shower. It's, it's just like, feels so good afterwards. I get a bunch of great ideas, really relaxing. Um, I'm not on my phone. Like, you know, there's just like a bunch of benefits to it. I'm like, okay, it sounds silly, but that's actually an important part of my day, <laughs> right? Walking my dog. There's all these little things I, I enjoyed that I was like, I need to make sure that happens. And the one most important one was I like just being curious and then letting like following my curiosity. So I thought, well, how can I be professionally curious? Can I get paid to be curious? is that if that was my career then what would happen. And so that's where I started thinking why why not do something like a newsletter because if I was going to do a newsletter about crypto which is the thing I was most curious about in those months then I would get to just like go read a bunch of stuff go meet a bunch of cool people blah 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 and then cool at the end of the night I just package that up into a newsletter that you know summarizes the most interesting things I yeah. saw or I heard about that seems like a fun project to work on and that's how we decided.
1: It's funny because this is like rich guy stuff. And I think it should be everybody's stuff. Like, I talk to people who are second-time founders or third-time founders, and they're saying the same stuff. Like, what would I like to do on a day-to-day basis? You know, what makes me happy? And I talk to first-time founders. and like, what is going to make money? <laughs> How do I quit my job? Like, I have no ideas. like, what will work, you know? And I think that, like, I'm interested kind of in the disparity between you, Sean, and you, Ben, because it sounds like Ben, I don't know a ton about your backstory, but, like, you're working on a business that wasn't working that well. And here Sean has, like, already, like, sold a company, like, making all this money from his podcast, which is, like, humongous, investing. Uh, and I think when you have this dichotomy between, like, two different founders who are in two different places, you might want different things. Like, my boss is a billionaire. And he came to me at some point a couple of years ago and was like, hey, Court, look, let's work on this project together. And on one hand, I was like, oh, this is a cool pet project of his that he really wants to work on. But on the other hand, I'm like, he already has like, you know, $10 billion and I have like some like infinitesimal fraction of that. Like we have very different goals. So like Ben, like what was your, were you on like this perfect Tuesday grind of like you just want to have a newsletter that's going to be fun for you?
3: Yeah, I definitely am a little more focused on like, yeah, I want to make a certain amount of money, but it's not like my only goal. I'm like, yeah, I want to do it a specific way and I want to have fun and I want to like chase the things that are interesting to me. Whereas like, you know, for example, my little brother, he's like, He's like, oh, stuck in the SMB Twitter world where he's like, oh, if I could start a housekeeping business tomorrow, <laughs> uh, that makes me 10 grand a month, I'll do it. And I'm like, yeah, I definitely don't think like that. <laughs> no. But probably a little bit more than Sean is on the spectrum of like, yeah, I want to do things that have an outcome. And I think Sean is slightly under underplaying that because I think he cares too. But I think it's mostly like there's many ways to win. Uh, and like there's a certain way that we try to win the game.
1: How do you win? Like. Channing and I have a newsletter. It's not that big. You know, it's like 125,000 people. We make $0 from it. Like, we don't know how to win with the newsletter. How do you win with the newsletter?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the main things that I think we won with were one brand, like, which I think you guys do a good job with too. You know, we tried to stand out from the crowd. I think there were, and I don't know, Sean, how you feel about this, but there was, you know, we could have been called crypto daily or eat daily. Instead, we tried to pick something that people really resonated with. And we tried to build like a cult. And I think we saw that on Twitter, a lot of people would resonate with the cult and the things that we did. So I think that's one. I think two, we tried to write for ourselves. Like I think early on we were like, oh, who, who is this for? Is it for someone that's deeper or like our moms? And like the reality was, we were just like, let's just write what we like. And if we like this, we're going to bet that thousands of other people will. And then three, I think trying to get good at monetizing, which for us is we trained a, a kid from the Netherlands to be really good at ad sales. I don't know. Sean, what else from your perspective do you think we got right that helped us win?
2: Well, I think it's kind of two separate questions. One is what makes a, new, a newsletter work? What does a newsletter business even look like? And then the second is things that we did specific to Milk Road that, that actually like worked particularly well. And by the way, I, I think you, what you did with Indie Hackers is exactly uh, – like that is this that is a winning formula, and yeah, it's not you didn't do it through the newsletter, but you did the same idea, which is you picked basically a niche that you understood that you could speak to of people you like to be around. You built a brand around it with a cool name. And then you started figuring out what content they like on a regular basis, success stories, uh, horror stories, um, you know, like tips and tricks, whatever. And you started providing that to them on a consistent basis. And whatever the outcome was, I doubt you could have predicted that at the beginning. So even though I was kind of like a little bit on the hippie enlightened path of like, what does my perfect day need to look like? Um, part of working on something was like that this is going to succeed. It's going to be something that people like I like and the market likes meaning it makes money. And like, don't get me wrong, I love money. My podcast called my first million for a reason. I really enjoy the the, the sport of making money. But what I realized along the way was I just looked at a pattern. Every time I do something opportunistic, cause I'm like, this will make money. My results are worse than the things that I do because I'm like, this would be dope. And this would be dope happens to be a better like starting point for me than this would work or this would make money. So this would be dope is like the first filter. Then secondly, do I see a path? Do I think that there's a way for this to make a bunch of money or give me some other big benefit that I'm interested in? Um, if so, then like green light, go go forward. And business is like a skill set, So it's like, you know, I can go to my sister's preschool business and help her make more money because there's just a skill of business about how to increase revenue, how to, you know, decrease your your costs or increase your margins, how to reinvest that in a way that like grows the business, uh, how to structure your business in a way that's like tax advantage. Like there's all these like skills that go into a, a bucket when you're good at business. So once I realized, oh, you could just apply that to anything, I could take a podcast, which is not typically something people make a lot of money with, and I could find a way to make a lot of money with it. For example, with our podcast. I think the first year we made some tiny amount of ad revenue, 30K, 70K, something like that. But I realized pretty quickly, oh, ads is a really poor way to monetize a podcast. The better way to monetize this podcast is like, look at what is this asset actually creating and then figure out the best business model for that. So what I realized was this podcast is attracting a bunch of entrepreneurs who either are already, you know, somewhat successful or, you know, soon to be successful And they have really high trust, right? It's not the biggest audience. It's not Mr. Beast, like 80 million people watching a video, but it's now, I don't know, like 150,000 people, but back then it was much smaller. Maybe let's say at that time, 30,000 people listening to an episode, but they're listening to me with my voice for hours a week in their ears. And they've learned to trust me and like me and like hear stories. And I'm like, I have this free avenue to build a whole reputation with them. And how do we monetize that was we launched a fund and we just got like, you know, only the top 100 or 200 wealthiest people in the audience to give us money. And now we invest $10 million a year into startups. That turned out to be a way better business model. Uh, You know, investing $10 million a year into startups using capital raised from the podcast listeners was a way better business model than ads. But um, it's only because, you know, took something that I thought would just be dope to do and then bet on myself that later I can figure out business model that will work.
0: Is there any, I'm curious, I mean, that's the some of the ways that you were able to kind of parlay assets from your podcast into investing. Uh, is there an extent to which you did anything similar with the Milk Road and...
1: Like what's the the equivalent yes. crypto play is, oh man, these people trust me and they'll do whatever we say. Like, let's launch our own coin <laughs> and then get people yeah. to invest <laughs> in that. But you didn't do that.
2: Yeah, Now part of the, the important part about trust is to not abuse it. So like, yeah, we wanted to launch a... a a fund if we thought that we could generate like alpha above just saying, go buy ETH and go buy Bitcoin if you believe in crypto. Right. So it's like, do I believe I can outperform ETH? Uh, no. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, oh, cool. NFTs are hot. Should we launch a milk road NFT? I don't know. we got a good brand. we have got a bunch of people here. They'd probably buy it. But then what? Like, I'm not trying to sell you a door to nowhere. So um, we couldn't figure out what the hell the purpose would be of the NFT. So we just never did it. Um, at that time. And so, you know, part of the reason you can build trust is because you know how to not abuse it. So we, did, we didn't we did abuse it there. So what did, what did we actually do? We were like, well, we have a bunch of crypto readers who are interested in crypto investing, things like that. And there was a bunch of advertisers who wanted to advertise with us. So that, that paid the bills on a month to month basis. So, you know, I know you guys are indie hackers. You guys like numbers. We were doing, I don't know, probably what was it been like between one and two million a year in revenue was kind of like the, the rate we were at um now we were in year one we sold the business one year in so uh you yeah, know we, we we kind of jettisoned a little early there but it was working the business was profitable it was doing you know seven figures of revenue and more importantly we realized oh okay there are multiple ways you can parlay this audience in the future what we decided to do was say let's use this as an excuse to learn and get smarter about crypto because getting smart in crypto can be a very financially lucrative thing for you um invest in projects that we're seeing early on and we're able to get on the cap table because when we go to the projects, we say, hey, can we invest in this? By the way, like we can mention you in Milk Road and get you in front of a huge number of people. So we provide some distribution, some initial launch users that, that you can't otherwise get. Uh, so we did invest, we did learn, and now we'll see over the next uh, you know five years if those startups that we invested in turn out to be big winners or, or, or fizzle out.
1: Like, did you share numbers about, like, how many subscribers you had? Like, if you have a newsletter in crypto and it's doing, you know, seven figures in revenue a year, like, how big does that newsletter have to be?
2: We didn't share that, but, uh, yeah, I think if you can get a newsletter, I think in general, if you can get a newsletter to, let's call it hundred to 150,000 subscribers, which is, I think, where you guys said you're at. Yeah. Um, I'm listening. And you have high engagement. Do you have a high open rate? Yeah.
0: Uh, we like, are at mid 30s 30 40 yeah. percent great so we were like 42
2: 43 something like that percent open rate um now the hard part is we were every day we're here yeah. so yeah, that creates a time, lot we're three times a week
1: which is which i thought was a lot but you guys are daily which is an insane work yeah we plan. do
2: we did five now six uh days a week so but three is not bad i thought you were gonna say once a week nah. so three is not bad either my guess you guys are you guys have you said 120k subscribers mm-hmm. yeah so let's say, I don't know, something like 50,000 people open every email. You're sending that three times a week. Uh, ben, what's the math on that? What should they be generating? Let's do this real quick live. So,
3: Yeah, I think our, our back of the envelope is like for every 50K subs, you should be able to make like $1,500 a day in ads. So I think you should be able to sell each ad for each day for like 3500 Ooh, that's a lot of money. I like the sound of that. Yeah, that's right longer.
1: now we're selling so You, you, you guys could be making...
2: Something like between, let's say conservatively five k a week, and aggressively ten k a week on your newsletter. I love this
1: free consulting. By properly. the way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we got to do this. By thing. the
2: way, I actually think and and now I have a more updated view of this, which is that you should not sell ads on your newsletter. You should figure out what. What ad should go in the newsletter, and then you should build or own a piece of that right. company?
1: Wow, yeah. Like yeah. Joe Rogan does, yeah. right? He's like, I'm going to make my own supplements and then advertise yeah, my like, own shit on my show instead of mm-hmm. advertising somebody else's stuff on my show.
2: Yeah, and he, he does both, but like, um, and both is probably the like the actual optimal thing. So you can like fill the full inventory. But I would just take the approach of if I'm going to build this audience and I'm going to promote a product. I'm going to also own the majority or at least significant stake in that product. Um, that will hold you true to two things. Number one, you'll only promote stuff you actually like and believe in. Number two, uh, you'll only get re- you won't only get. You will just try to grow your sub list to grow a, a top line number. You will go for quality of reader and trust built with that reader because they are going to actually be your customer. You're the one putting in the ad slot. So you need them to be not just a bot, you need them to be like a real, human being who's got income who trusts you guys and has needs and you can fill those needs with like some product.
1: This is all excellent advice. I'm taking notes. So I think the other part that I'm the most curious about is just the growth part. Our newsletter has been kinda stalled around, you know, like 125 K people. And you guys grew your newsletter in record time from zero to whatever it was. Something that was worth selling. How do you grow a newsletter so fast?
2: Uh yeah, there's a bunch of different ways. I think uh Range, you know, the best way is your content is so good it gets forwarded or your content is so good when you post it on Twitter or other places. People click, they read, they subscribe. That's the best way. So you basically blog your way. right? You do one-off blogs and somebody says, that was dope. I'd mm-hmm. like some more of that, please. And then you say, this button gives you more of that on a regular basis. That's the best way to, to, to grow a newsletter. There are other ways, you know. Referrals and you know word of mouth. So you build the referral program or an ambassador program, things like that. You could do paid acquisition. So people do paid acquisition. They they buy buy readers, and it sort of goes like, as you would guess, it sort of gets worse and worse the further down that spectrum you go. The further away you go from, I post Your it organically, people see yeah. it, they read the content, and they say more, please, right? That's like the the gold standard, and the the sort of like the worst is you know the the, the all time worst is you i don't know by uh indian fake users right <laughs> like you know that, that's like the worst right so how do you grow a newsletter you can choose wh- where you want to live i think for you guys the the better case would be you know like how much traffic does like indie hackers get do do you guys talk about that um
1: yeah a couple million visits a month great
2: so why are you not uh, growing the newsletter faster from that
1: right because it's like are most driving people to sign up for the community sign up for the website sign up for the forum which i think pretty right. there's another
0: piece that i actually want to Get uh, your opinion on. I mean, both of y'all's, both of y'all's opinion on, which is like kind of the secret to the way that we run the newsletter. As just a couple of people, we don't have a big staff. The way that we run the entire website is we kind of leverage the power of crowdsourcing. So yep. right now we put out three newsletters a, a a week. We have like a really talented like New York Times journalist who is our editor but what she's doing is she's finding like the best content that kind of fits a basic theme for our newsletter. Like, you know, we've got three main stories. It's kind of a rip off in a lot of ways of the hustle. It's got that kind of like magazine style. Yeah. Um, but we don't, directly control the content. We don't like have like a, a staff of writers. So we're not the, writing uh, a amount. Content. Exactly. So like the, the, like what Ben said, like, yeah, you're kind of building this cult. You have your own voice. That's the, something that we don't necessarily have that much control over. We like what yeah, your, that's your harder. opinion on this?
2: Yeah. Cur- curating works like uh, my five tweet newsletter, right? So so I would do this thing. Five tweet Tuesday was basically like, Hey, I'm on Twitter all the time. I see, see interesting stuff. Ben sees interesting stuff. This is Ben superpower, by the way. He's a great curator. Um, And we just show you like, yo, if you didn't want to waste your time on social media this week, just read this email. It's five of the most interesting tweets. One will make you laugh. Two will make you think. And one you'll disagree with, but it'll force you to kind of like articulate your your own thoughts in your head. And that's kind of the the, the core, core format. And so that's a fully curated thing, but it has a little bit of commentary from me in it. So it's like, here's the tweet. Here's my take. Here's the tweet. Here's my take. Um, And people love that email. That's a good email, but it doesn't build the same level of trust or value as like, you know, original content does. So it's, uh, you know, depends on the goal. I started that one because I was like, look, I got this email list. I just don't want it to go stale. If I don't send anything for eight months, Mm -hmm. this is worthless. If I have to write original content, I don't have the time right now. I'm running two businesses, so I can't do that. So I needed something in the middle, something to just keep the list warm, and right. that was my uh, my solution. It's
1: kind of like Tim Ferris is like Five Bullet Friday or whatever, where it's like, okay, I've got this huge right. audience in my podcast; people love me. I might as well have like some very easy to curate newsletter, I exactly. can monetize. Exactly. The other thing you do, Sean, like I think that's cool. Is, like you've got your podcast, right? Which you talked about, which is huge, and like feeds into this. How much work does it take you to do your podcast? Because Right. We're trying to get better at podcasting. Like this is like I don't know, like our sixth or seventh episode. Where Channing is joining me, at least. Well, in our Channing's space.
2: like at my college library right now, or something. What? <laughs> where are you, Channing? Are you? Did you? Come, a take I am over just, a, a library?
0: Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just a nerd. Like this is, <laughs> is this a, uh, a green This screen? is, an is this real. <laughs> this is. A, I, I read this article. My girlfriend uh, sent this to me it, to like poke fun at me about like. How they're how like a lot of like millionaires and like startup people are spending whatever they'll spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars for someone to kind of like bus in a podcast background library with like color coded <laughs> books. Background. But but I'm yeah, but I'm I just did. a nerd. Like this is just like these are the books I've been toting around for. How
2: many how, how many of those books have you read? Give me a
0: percentage of books. On that, on that. I'm on I'm on I'm on about fifty percent. I just got three books this like literally this morning. I read a book a week. Like it's just like a, a constant, wow. a constant thing. That's all
1: Channing does. He just reads. Every time I talk to this guy, he's telling me about a book he's read. All
2: right. So I don't know if you guys can see this all kind of off frame, maybe, but uh, I have these four books on my bookshelf here. Four. Um, <laughs> how many? How many book, of those books have you read, Sean? This book is called Tango Lessons. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if there's pa- oh there are words
0: inside. Well, why is that a <laughs> book and not a YouTube video? Let's be honest. You could. You could go on Etsy and
2: you could buy, it's called cream colored books. And so you just buy these neutral white looking books. That look good. they look good on your shelf. And so uh, that's the that's literally my
0: book. So the books you did I that, you did, the, you, did the, you did the books in the background thing and, and you only got four and one of them is on tango. Are you trying to learn how to tango or is that just like?
2: No, I, I just read that for the first time. I didn't even know what was on there. I just knew it was a critical <laughs> book. I didn't, need, I didn't decide the designer was like, you need books to look sophisticated. And so she sent me a link and I bought it. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's how I roll. But, uh, okay. So what you're saying podcasting, uh, what's your question about podcasting?
1: you okay. uh, we were talking last year, you're talking about how the all in podcast is billionaires talking about billionaire shit. We we're talking about how your show, my first million is like millionaires talking about millionaire shit. And then milk road is right. kind of the same, you know, it's like how do you become a millionaire with crypto? And then Andy hackers is kind of like thousandaires talking, <laughs> talking about <laughs> thousandaires. You know, we interview <laughs> people making like 10 grand a month. and like, that's, that's life changing. And on right. your podcast, you also interviewed Peter Levels. I think Sam brought him on your show, and you're like, "Who's this guy?" And like, why do we want to talk to him? You know?
2: And <laughs> no, no, I'm a fan of Peter, but he, uh, he he did come on, and he had one of the highest like rating episodes. He's good, dude. Too. He's got a huge. He like, brings an audience. People love. A, him lot a lot of people
1: want to know how to just be one one guy and and just make it. But I remember Sam talking about like, why would you spend sixty hours a week trying to make you know hundred thousand dollars if you could spend sixty hours a week trying to make a hundred million dollars? <laughs> right. It's kind of like yes. a very different ethos. What do you? <laughs> What do you two think about that?
2: I had the same bit of advice given to me. My dad told me that. He goes, you know, uh, I th- this is when I was doing that restaurant idea, which is like the very very first idea I had, very first business idea I ever had was uh, to create the Chipotle for sushi. So a so, so stupid idea, but I started winning business plan competitions, so I thought it was the best right. idea ever. Now, my dad was like, restaurants, well, you know, son – Not only do they always fail, even when they succeed, they don't do very well. (laughs) I was like, what? No, it's going to be huge. It's going to be a chain. And he's like, okay, maybe. But he's like, you know, um, you're doing this deal right now or like you're trying to put this one thing together. And if it works, it'll make $150,000. I'm doing this deal. He worked worked for BP. So he worked in the energy industry. And he's like, you know, there is no meeting for a deal that has hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like there, there has to be an extra zero or two for there to even be a deal. Like they, they don't deal in numbers less than that. And um, he's like, a small project and a big project, if, you tr- if you're if you working on them, will both take up all your time. And I, and I actually think that's very true. I think there's this big misconception about like passive income. Very rarely do you find something that's truly like passive income. Um, and most of the time, if you want something to succeed, you're gonna put in, you know, pretty solid effort, pretty solid hours, unless you, until you build up enough expertise that you can do something in three hours that takes somebody else 30 hours to do, which does happen. And now has happened for me in a couple cases, but at the beginning, you know, before, when you're pre-rich, when you're pre-figured shit out, um, you should just plan that whatever you're doing is going to take up, you know, all your work time. And so you just are deciding, am I going to spend all that work time on something small or something big? It's up to you. Um, the odds of success are not that dramatically different. I would say maybe when you get to the category of I'm trying to build a billion dollar company, the odds are are somewhat different. But to build something that's going to make millions of dollars versus hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars, they're kind of the same likelihood of success. It's just, uh, you know, project selection.
0: Okay, so let's get you on the record here. Uh, would you yeah. say officially right now that you think that Indie Hackers is small boy stuff? <laughs> I think the way you guys are doing it is officially certified tr- grade
2: A small boy small stuff. stuff. <laughs> yes. Uh, let me small tell you <laughs> why. You got bought by Stripe. Amazing. That's big boy stuff. It's been six hold on six oh, hold no. on six years, six oh, years and this a is months. the phone that was out when you got bought it's <laughs> not, not even is a phone what, that's like calculator this is this is a blackberry what is that? uh this, this is a this is a small uh, this is how i texted you congratulations when you got <laughs> bought how yeah, are you still you were there flipping
0: up the top of the phone to like
2: access exactly. the buttons so um vesting out your full term and more i believe is small boy stuff if you Want to be an entrepreneur? Because basically what you did, I don't know if you want to be an entrepreneur. Maybe you don't. If you don't, then it's not small boy stuff. If you said, no, I want to have like super chill. I want to read five books a week and chill, like fantastic. Then you're doing, you're living life on your terms. That is not small boy stuff. That is big boy stuff. But if you wanted to be an indie hacker or you wanted to be an entrepreneur, then not doing entrepreneurship for six years is probably not a good idea, right? Like, uh, you know, you don't just like take off six years of your prime to not do it. So let's ask that question. Yeah. Do you want to be an entrepreneur, or do you want to have a really dope, fun lifestyle doing something else? What is the goal? Dude, my, what's your What's my your tenures? role model?
1: Peter Levels is my role model. He's one of the reasons that I started Andy Hackers, and he's an entrepreneur, but like more than anything, he's just a creator. He tweeted something like, "People are always saying everything I do turns to gold. I've made millions of dollars. Like, here's right. a list of 96 projects I've made. Only four have made any money. Right? He's right. just building shit because he likes to build shit." I'm kind of the same way, right? Like I left San Francisco a couple years ago. Sean, you and Sam talk about like this chat group that you're a part of, where it's everyone is like trying to blow yeah, up. Yeah, you their... were in it. I was for in a day. it. Yeah, I was in it. And <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm not as excited about this shit as these guys are. Like you're all trying to blow your Twitter accounts up to like a hundred thousand people. I'm like, I just don't care. I mean, didn't you Seattle. get kicked out?
0: Because it sounds like you're it sounds like you're saying you quit. But it sounds like I, I think I heard <laughs> I got you got kicked, kicked
2: out. out. He just he just wouldn't he didn't talk. I didn't talk. So
1: we were like, <laughs> I learned What's up I guy? learned not, I like, nah, not for me not for me right. Like I think there's a bug of just like making more and more and more and more money that hits a lot of people and it's super motivational, right? But for me it's like I actually just like building stuff.
2: Okay. Okay, so you like building stuff, yeah. if you want to be a creator. Exactly. Now, okay, let's let's go on those terms. Last 6 years, mm-hmm. how many things have you built and how many has Peter Levels built? <laughs> <laughs> if he's the if he's the MJ of the, you know, the indie hacker, right? He's right. the MJ of indie hackers, let's say. Um, are you Kobe or are you, nah, like right? I'm like, I, you know, I don't know if you're an NBA fan, but like, you know, where are you? I'm like, I'm like
1: that kid. who was at my high school who was like, you know, second string on the basketball <laughs> team, not really wearing all the, gear,
2: <laughs> all the gear, bought <laughs> all the gear. I got the Jordans, right. I'm
1: practicing my jumps, but I'm like, I'm not getting playtime. But I think for me, it's like, we built some cool shit. Like we have this huge directory of products at Indie Hackers. We have this cool community. Like, I just want to be a builder.
0: Channing, how about, how about you? Are you, are you similarly minded? Is that your goal too? I mean, so we kind of have different trajectories. The Cortland was doing startups and kind of had an aspiration to do startups, you know, forever. I mean, he was lugging around like a a Bill Gates book when he was 13 years old. He went to MIT. He (laughs) almost quit MIT to do his startups. Um, and I was like the old school entrepreneur in a way that you don't make money, which is like, I just wanted to be a novelist look at the books behind me, right? You can kind of, yep. you can kind of put this together. And the way that I ended up going in this direction is, you know, I wrote a novel, I got a literary agent, my agent was like, called me up on the phone. And he's like, Hey, I just want to let you know, you know, the of the five best selling uh, authors that I represent, the like top best selling one, he like works full time as a firefighter. Uh, the second full time, like, <laughs> you gotta be person, like, Yeah. It's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, just to be clear here, like these are the winners. Yeah. yeah, If you, if you achieve all of your dreams, like you're going to write like, you know, five hours on weekends. So at the exact same time, Cortland's like, we lived, we lived in uh, San Francisco together. I was like in this shitty sales job that I was like, you know, this is going to be a dead end. I just got a call from my agent. That's like, you're going to be doing that forever. And Cortland's (laughs) like, well, if you want to write, and if you want to do that kind of a thing, like if that's your, your version of being like kind of a billionaire, why don't you teach yourself how to code? And so I became a developer. I got tons of free time. And then Cortland started to hit uh, home runs with the beginning of Indie Hackers. And he was like, hey, can you help me with, you know, can you help me edit these interviews? Can you help me, like, reach out? Can you help me build the forum? And it was, like, taking off.
1: And now you're a millionaire. You can write as much as you want. I would say Channing is someone who's living his perfect Tuesday every day. He's got a very strict regimen. Yeah. He knows exactly what he wants to do. And half of our conversations are about books he's read. And the other half is about how much he loves his life because he's doing exactly what he wants to do every (laughs) single day.
2: You're like, bro, this phone call telling me how much you love your life. I I can't get this every day.
1: I'm a little jealous. No, that 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 actually has happened. (laughs) You know, another thing I think is different um, in my life that I've tried to build, I don't know if this counts, but it's like a circle of like real friends. So Channing, you and I were talking about this the other day, like real friends versus deal friends, right? I had like all my deal friends when I lived in San Francisco. People that I would talk to, we would chum around with, we would work together, you know, we would do deals together. And then I left SF and I realized, like, I don't talk to any of these people anymore. Was that a real <laughs> friendship? And everyone says that. Everyone loves on podcasts it's saying like, oh, I'm friends with so-and-so. We're friends. Right. But it's like, we talk once a year about business. It's like, that really a friendship? Or do you just get, like, social status from saying that you're friends with that person? Whereas in right. Seattle, like, no one I know knows anything about startups. And we hang out and talk about totally unrelated shit and, like, about our personal lives. And so I think for me, I've been focusing a lot more on like making real friends, which I didn't have when I was in San Francisco.
2: Yeah, and very underrated, too, because it's really hard to make friends as an adult. I feel Um, like friends was kind of like spoon fed to me, like when I'm in school or in college or especially now with like remote work. It's like, man, even those like kind of. Like the deal, even your deal friends are kind of gone if you if you don't go to an office every yeah. day for a lot of people, right? Like because they're not doing deals, they just those are coworkers and they kind of hang out together. And uh, these aren't the people I would pick to be my friend, but I see them every day, so you know why not? And so I think it's great that you actually have that. And it, isn't that like one of the most commonly linked things to like happiness? Is yeah. like basically having like a really strong community um, of like you know family and friends. Basically I did some soul that, searching that last year, with.
1: man, and that was like the answer to everything: your community and like a sense of purpose those two things. If you got those, you're on the track to be happy. And if you don't, uh, you're probably screwed. But also like what you said was another common thing that I heard in the tech industry that it's, it's hard to make friends as an adult. And then when I came to Seattle, I started meeting people who sort of lived in Washington their entire life. And I would tell them the same thing. You know, it's so hard to make friends as an adult. And everyone just looked at me like like I had two heads. Like why, why is it hard to make friends? They're like, I have a ton of friends. I've I've lived here my whole life. I've got hundreds of friends. I've never left. Um, And I thought about that, and ultimately, like, it's kind of easy, right? Like, I've been doing it now, too. You just, like, when you meet somebody, instead of only hanging out with them one-on-one, you introduce them to all of your other friends. And then, more importantly, when people invite you to stuff, you just say yes and go out. (laughs) You You just go, right?
2: It's actually not that hard. Yeah, Tony Robbins has this thing he says. He's like, people live this box life. He's like you sit in your house, which is a box, and then you stare. He's like you go to work, you get in your box that has wheels. You ru- you drive to to your box building, and you get in the box there. You sit in your cubicle, that's another box, and then you type on your box, and then you get back. <laughs> you, you eat your lunch box, and then you you go back and you get back in your box car. You go back home to your box. You watch watch the box on your TV, and then you go to sleep. Right, like uh, you you know when you're hungry, you go to the box, uh, you know in your <laughs> fridge, and you just grab the the first thing you see, and then that's it. And he's like. That's not right. Don't live this box life, like you. You're, so you easy, should right. have some like variety and spice and twists and turns and some some flexibility with with the way you live. And uh, I think it's worth kind of like like looking at like zooming out. You know, like when you to get up, take off in an airplane, and everything starts to look like ants. Mm-hmm. It's like you kind of just like third person look at yourself and zoom out and be like, "Damn, I am living kind of a box life." <laughs> and like maybe I'll, like I started doing this. I started biking to work. And it took me twice as long to get to work and I was having three times more fun. I was like, this is way better than what I was doing before where I would take this efficient Uber to work. And instead I started either walking, which took me 45 minutes to walk to work, or I would uh, bike to work. And it was like, even if it was cold and bitter and terrible, um, it was still better than the box life. And I think that there's like, there's some wisdom in that.
0: I can relate to this a lot because I feel that the, the easiest way to get trapped in the box is to really love the box, right? <laughs> <And> I <laughs> feel like really love you're love the box. Yeah. I'm a, I'm <laughs> like, I, I've heard you. Um, you're comfortable. Yeah, well, so it, it, like, it can be a kind of a comfort trap. And I mean, I don't know, I just think back over 10 years of my life and it's like finding comfort zones and then occasionally like getting riveted out of those comfort zones. Those were all the A, the like cool stories and in, in hindsight, but they were also all of these crazy learning opportunities that gave me tools that I could then use to like break through in other areas, just to be specific. For example, I had to get a job when I was in San Francisco. I'm not exactly an introvert, but like I ended up getting this sales job and I was like, definitely not looking for that. Like it was, you know, sort of hardcore copier sales, walking into buildings, (laughs) not fun work, but then I like, I had to figure that out. And then the skills that I learned from that, in weird ways contributed to writing. Like I was had a higher pain tolerance, right? Um, it contributed to just my personal, like my self-concept of like, no, I can fucking learn anything, et cetera. And a really interesting insight into how to break out of that box. I heard from Sam on, on your show where he mentioned, he has his four values that he figures out how he can like kind of level up on whatever every year. And for him, it's fun, family, finance, and fitness. And like those different buckets, he just says, okay, what what like you know, sort of fitness project do I want to like push my limits and, and get out of my comfort zone on, right? And just knowing that one little heuristic, he doesn't have to know in advance like what particular projects, like that's that's still this mystery box, right? And it's gonna naturally lead him to go into these weird adventures. And I heard that and I immediately ran to Cortland and was like, ah, it's sort of similar to my thing, right? Because I've got, you know, connections that's uh, connections, craftsmanship contribution in uh, character and it's like, it, it's, nerds. it's, it's, yeah, yeah it, it's just like easy to remember. But I mean, it's, it's this thing that like in a way forces me to do random like, shit. I got
2: connections, that I naturally... uh, character, cocaine. And it's like, as long as <laughs> uh, it starts with a C, I'm doing I think, it. I think, that I think that's right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's actually a good point. Uh, a good bit of life advice is ask yourself different questions. So if you ask yourself a question, most people, most people's qu- the quality of questions they ask themselves are terrible. Most people's questions they ask themselves are basically insults wrapped in uh, in a question. So it's like, why do I always do this? Or why can't I? Why can't I find somebody? Why am I so blah blah blah? So it's basically those are the insults. That's like the worst type of question you can ask yourself. The other bad trap, which a lot of successful people fall into, is they keep repeating the same questions that. Get them the results they're already getting. So I call this the um, the stressor achiever persona. It's basically it's a person who achieves things. They're stressed out the whole time, and their life is like very um, narrow. Like they're just really going on some track, some ladder. And that ladder first was go to AP Biology and AP English, and then get to the uh, get to the good school, then get to the good school, get to the good job, and get to promotion, get to the manager, and then even when they go to entrepreneurship, and they're like, yeah. F the career ladder. Then they're like, I raised my seed round, then my series A, then my series B. It's like, uh, you just found a new ladder, bro. Like you're just, (laughs) you're still ladder, you're still on some track. And um, not to say the tracks are all bad, but they lead you to just like narrow your sense of what's possible and what the questions you ask yourself on a day-to-day basis. So a question that I think is worth asking is, what's the, what's something I'm looking forward to a lot? What's something I'm really excited about in my life right now? And When you ask this, it's surprising how hard it is to come up with this. It's kind of disappointing how hard it is to come up with a a good answer. The other disappointing thing is if the thing you're saying, the thing you're excited about is like six months away. It's like, wow, all right, that's a lot of hours between now and then, (laughs) you know, like, and can I pull the future forward? Can I pull some fun forward? And as soon as you ask yourself that question, sure enough, you're like, well, I can just go do that tomorrow. Or I'm going to fucking go to the zoo tomorrow or I'm going to like, in, I'm going to call a friend and we're going to go play some tennis. We're going to go do something and you will find yourself pulling it forward. And so whichever area of your life you are like caring about, like you know, the family, the fitness, the fun, the, the, the finances, whatever it is, like it's good to think about what's a better question I can ask myself. Cause most of life is just a dialogue you're having with yourself. And, um, rarely do we upgrade that dialogue we have the same old same old conversations with ourselves and like if you change that all your actions then change and i think that's like a a really underrated thing that most people don't do
1: i think in that vein one of the things you can do that's like pretty creative and will get you thinking differently is to literally just impersonate other people when you're asking yourself these questions like i'll do this with podcasters sometimes we're like how would lex friedman ask this question right if he was talking to you'd be like oh you know, Sean, like, what's the biggest source of love in your life, right? And he was just, I would never think of that question, but like, he'll right, think of it, right? Next question. Or like, yeah, how would Patrick Collison like interview or Tyler Cowen or how would you like ask a question? And I think there's just something that happens when you impersonate somebody else that you instantly adopt an entirely new perspective on the world that you just wouldn't naturally come to on your own.
2: Totally. I'll give you an example of that. Um, we have a buddy, me and Ben have this buddy, uh, Suli, who's like, you know, one of our best friends, but also kind of like a business mentor. So like on a personal level, we're really good friends. Uh, from a business point of view, he's like a black belt and I consider myself like a blue belt or something like that. So I'm I try to, you know, spar with him so I can see where I can improve. And he helped us out a lot with the milk road. And I remember we had the conversation about when to sell or should we sell? And it was like, Hey, it's kind of crazy to sell this thing one year in when it's working. Like it's, uh, it'd be one thing if like this was a bad business, but this is actually a good business. And we're like, shouldn't we just hold on to it? And it's like, he asked a bunch of questions that like I've now hung out with him enough that I already knew what he was going to ask. And therefore, like I could actually just simulate the whole conversation in my head and get to better clarity. And um, I'll give you an example of some of the questions that he asked. But I, it's like, I could have bet you $10 he was going to ask these questions, which is, you know, he would point out that well, if you're thinking about selling, there's a part of you that wants to. What? Why? Why do you want to? Because you're saying it's a great business, blah, blah, blah. Like, cool. And you, you wouldn't even consider this unless there was something. Is the, Are they offering an outlandish price? Is there something, some risk you're worried about? Is there um, something else you want to go do? Like, what's the reason? And so he asked that, and that, that got me to get more clear. The other thing he said was, I, I was like, yeah, we're just getting started, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, there is another possibility, which is, all the easy stuff is done and now comes the grind. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, so which is more true? Um, are you just getting going? And like, now it's going to get easier from here. Or did you take all the low hanging fruit and it's going to get a lot harder from here. And, um, and again, like forget the, I, I asked these questions because for somebody out there who's got their business and they're thinking about what to do with it, these are really useful questions that are high level. These are black belt questions, not like beginner questions. But the second thing is to your point, I kind of knew what he would say on a bunch of the things that I was going to bring up. Yeah. And I, actually what ha- ends up happening is I just start auditing and editing my sentence before it even comes out of my mouth. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I know I can't get away with saying this bullshit around this guy. Cause he sniffs out bullshit. So let me just cut the bullshit out to begin with yeah. and not even say it. Um, it's like, you'll you know, let like,
1: yourself off the hook. But if you impersonate him, you know, he wouldn't let you off the hook. He would
2: never let me off the hook. Like this will happen often with when I'm hitting a plateau or complaining about something. It's like, Oh, it's so hard to do this. <laughs> it's like, I know that he would be like, "What would well, didn't, do? Yeah, didn't, didn't these other five companies do it? So like, clearly it's doable. Like, uh, <laughs> like are they, are any they better than it? you?
0: Is that, yeah. Like, saying? are
2: they smarter than you? Or is there something that's so yeah. unusual about your circumstances that yeah. you can't do that? Like, so then I'm like, yeah, let's not waste the breath talking about how difficult something is when clearly it's possible. And I just need to spend my time thinking about possibilities instead of
0: thinking about woe is me. So clearly you decided to sell. You went through that process. Yeah. And you successfully sold. So like any high level or low level tactics that you have for selling and negotiating? Well, for, I want,
1: yeah, I wanna know about negotiation specifically. Chang and I just went through like a pretty high level negotiation with like literally a dude who's bought and sold like two hundred and fifty companies at some of the biggest companies. And I think I would have gotten burned in that negotiation if I hadn't already been burned, <laughs> kind of in like an earlier negotiation. Like I learned <laughs> yeah. some tactics. I'm like, I gotta fucking do this next time. And like luckily I got that result. Like how do you, how do you guys approach negotiation to try to like make as much money as possible when you were selling the milk road?
2: Ben, I'll let you kind of give me give him give him your take on what your cuz this was I think your first big negotiation like this cuz cuz selling your company I think is one of the highest stakes negotiations oh, yeah. you're going to do, right? You've put years of effort usually into the thing. Uh it's your baby. You don't want it to fall apart. You also want to don't leave a bunch of value on the table by agreeing too easily. Uh, you don't get a lot of reps at doing this. So it's hard to get good because you do We've it. Never done. It if before. you're lucky once every few years, this was my second time doing it. It was Ben's first. So Ben, I'll, I'll let you go. Then I'll give you kind of my take too.
3: Yeah. On the previous point too, like I think when we were going back and forth with Suli, like every three hours we would be like in a group chat, we'd be like, oh, we should sell. And then three hours later, would be like, no, we're not selling. I remember there was a specific moment where he, he was just like, what is your visceral reaction to selling yes or no like mm. just type yes or no immediately and that's what you guys should do and like that i remember yeah, just, that being he kind would of a see like our thing. three dots typing <laughs> he's like so what do you want
2: to do right simple question Spit so do you want do you want to sell or keep running the company and then it'd be like our dot 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 typing some essay with pros yeah. and cons and he's like guys you should just have a visceral reaction to the idea of selling or not selling. And like,
3: start with that, <laughs> then we'll go from there. We'll add analysis later. And then I think, I think in terms of like negotiations, like, yeah, it was kind of my first rodeo. I would say one, you know, at the beginning we were just kind of fishing around to see what was possible. And then two, I think the main thing we did is we brought more people to the, to the party. Uh, so like, as soon as we knew someone was interested, like I think first thing we did is we kind of set a rough number or a rough range in our head to where it would be kind of a doable deal. And then we went and we found three or four more interested people to put them against each other, to talk, mm-hmm. to kind of practice.
2: By the way, I should say that wasn't the initial instinct that I think most people have, which is, it sounds obvious, right? It sounds like a, a, a normal, uh, it sounds like a very obvious point, but your instinct when someone's interested is to go deeper and date them. And instead what you do is you actually stall them for a second and you're like, oh, they're interested great fucking ignore them and go get three more interesting people uh, because like this will never work without that um and you will never maximize unless you can go get some more people to the table where i think the initial instinct is oh they asked us for this let's give them that document tomorrow and then then they want to meet again and let's meet again let's get hot and heavy with this party real quick because oh they said all the right things and it sounds like it's going to work and in actuality it's the time to immediately sprint on other options
0: What, what, what prompted you to do the like counter instinctual thing then in this case? Just
2: experience. Like the same thing happened last time where I was like, oh, okay, I understand now how this works and fundraising is the same way. Like, uh, you know, I realized that these are auctions and, uh, once you decide that you might sell, you need to run the auction, but to run the auction, you need all the parties interested at the same time, every time delay costs you money. So that's where I was like, okay, now I know how to play this. And we initially didn't plan for it. Like we were, we reached out to somebody basically being like, Hey, can we advertise with you guys? You have a crypto audience on your website. Like they might want to read our newsletter. Could we do like a swap or like, we'll pay you a dollar for somebody that subscribes. Like what, you know, you're interested in something like that. And they were like, no, but we actually really like the milk road. We would actually buy it. And then it was like, Oh, great. Cool. Let me get back to you. Uh, Let me think about if we would want to do that. And then we had our conversations and simultaneously booted up like, Well, if we're going to talk to them, who else would be the people that we would talk to make the hit list and start those conversations ASAP?
3: Yeah, and I think the other thing that I thought was helpful is like one of the frames, it's really, I I thought it was really easy to be like dreaming about how much money we were going to make and be like, oh, now I'm just dreaming and hoping that this happens. And I think one of the frames that Sean really hit a lot was like, look, even if we don't sell here, we're going to learn a lot about the business and how, like, what people are interested in, what they're not interested in, where we need to get better. So I think, Tried to like. We tried to embrace that. Like, Even if this deal doesn't happen and we wanted to, we're going to get a bunch of data points of things that people are curious about. So like, if we come back in a year or two, we're going to be way stronger for these reasons.
2: Yeah, that's a really, really important one. Another thing that Sully had taught me, he had done this with his business. He's like had this beautiful, rosy picture of his business. I was like, oh, of course, somebody will want to buy this. And he went and he tried to sell it himself. And immediately the market's like, at first they're like, wow, great business. would love to learn more. And as they learn more, they're like, ah, eh, this and that. And, mm. oh, you only do this. Like, have you thought about this? And it's like, why do they keep talking about those three things? They're missing the big idea, the big, the good parts. It's like, actually, those are what's important to them as a buyer. And you, if you do that with enough people, you get a real objective opinion about what your business is worth, where it is strong, why they, why they value it at anything, um, and where it's weak. And then you're like, oh, okay. You know, like let's take a newsletter, for example. Oh, you value this on, are they valuing this on profits, revenues, or do they look at the subscriber engagement and then assign a value per subscriber? Um, Oh, interesting. Once I know how they think about this and what they're worried about, then I know if I was gonna sell this 12 months or 24 months from now, that gives me a blueprint. That gives me a roadmap of how to make my business a lot stronger and more valuable to the objective person. So that's one component to it is, is learning that that's true. And then the other is this great quote that after we got acquired by, um by my previous company got acquired by Twitch. Um, Emmett, who's the CEO of, of Twitch and the co-founder of Twitch, he he has this great phrase that he learned from Paul Graham from, from Y Combinator. He goes, he goes, what is he? he goes? Birds fly, fish swim, and deals fall through. And so that's <laughs> the other, like he he, anytime someone would come to the table and be like super proud, like, oh, we had this great meeting. They're super interested. And then they start forecasting all this stuff. He's like, great. Just know.
0: Birds fly, fish swim, and deals fall
2: through. And then he would say that. And you could see they're like, oh, okay, buzzkill. Sure enough, uh, it's, it gets even better. We get the term sheet or get the get the contract. Oh, yeah, we're just working on the last few details. Sure enough, deal falls through. And the same thing happened in our acquisition process, which was, first of all, uh, we had to go in with this mentality that, Most likely, don't start dreaming about all the shit you're going to buy. Most likely, there's no deal to be had. Let's go in with that understanding that that is the likely scenario. And um, that means two things. Don't check out of running the business and start imagining a world where you don't have to work and don't have to do hard things. And secondly, don't like count on these coming through. That way, you're emotionally detached and can actually not be desperate when it comes to, to, to the negotiations. Because... A negotiation will go in the favor of whoever has more leverage, mm-hmm. and the 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 thing that nukes all like logical leverage is your emotions. If your emotions are desperate to buy or desperate to sell, you have lost all your leverage in that one yep. emotional swing. So you have to be
0: emotionally detached. I mean, there's a a similarity between the acquisitions of Indie Hackers and and Milk Road. It sounds like, and that like, you know, this wasn't just like a project of like, Hey, let's go try to get acquired. You said that you, you were reaching out about advertising and then like this other avenue opened up. And I wonder if that adds, or if that like sort of enhances your, a little bit of your emotional attachment, because like the roadmap that was, you know, sort of in your yeah. head before that was like, you probably knew what the next six, 12, 18 months probably were going to look like. Whereas if right. you're like, you know, this is kind of a fire sale or something, you know, we, we really want to get out for whatever reason. It seems that you're a little bit more desperate. It's something that you're, you're explicitly looking for. You're going to be way more. Better to not in, need to sell.
2: Right. Yeah, sure. always better. And there's really three, to three buckets you could be in. You could be Instagram. And it's like, yeah, we're the next big thing. And everybody wants us. Uh, you have a very different negotiation style, practice, and outcome. Then there's like where we were with Milk Road, which is we have a good business that we like. We don't have to sell it. If the deal was right, price was right, partners were right, people were right, um, then we'll do it. And then there's the shit's not working. What can I do to like, you know, scrap some value out of this for myself, my investors, for my sanity, for whatever else, right? To, to land the plane uh, because the engine's on fire. And just be honest with yourself. Which category are you in? And um, once you know which category you're in, you have like a slightly different tactic. And I've done the second and third before, and I've never done the first mm. uh, but I don't think it takes much skill to do the first, when you're the first one, you hire a banker and you, you run the process. Like it's, it's it just pretty happens. straightforward. Yeah. Um, you know, you pick the highest number. Uh, yeah. Everyone's coming inbound and everyone's outbidding each other cause you have the the in demand hot thing. But I wanted to say one more thing about deals falling through. Cause I think this is really important, which was we got to a point where we had two offers that side by side were about equal. One was a bit better. And um, one had been like a lot more thorough and diligent, and like, you know, lots of conversations, lots of questions, lots of sessions, you know, talking through different problems, whatever. And the other one was still a little bit earlier in the conversation. And we had a conversation with, I think, I forgot who it was, Bology. I think I called Bology and I was like, yo, what, what would you do with this? And he said something really smart. He goes, uh, I, gave him all, I gave him the information about the offers, but I didn't tell him how they were on slightly different timelines. One was more mature than the other. And when I said that at the end, he goes, oh, forget everything I just said. He goes, most deals will fall apart twice before they happen. Uh, This other one, you're telling me has almost, you know, you've both walked away twice already. And so this is a real offer and it's a serious offer and will likely close. This other one is you're still in your honeymoon phase. You haven't walked away yet. They haven't kicked the tires in the, the most serious way yet. Um, like you need to discount that by maybe 50 to 90%. He's like, so what, you thought these were close. They're not close. And uh, he turned out to be completely correct in that analysis. And so I would say the two takeaways for somebody who's trying to sell their business is the rule of two, you're gonna break up twice before you before you end up getting married, most likely. I don't know if that happened for you guys, but it's very, very common to sort of like feel like there's no deal happening twice, either because of a legal reason or a finance number or some other holdup that pops up. And then also, if you're in the case where one deal has actually gone through that process and gone through the fire a little mm-hmm. bit, gone through the diligence, and the other one hasn't, you have to a- apply a pretty aggressive discount factor yeah. to all the terms.
1: We um we had like the exceptional story where like the day between <laughs> Stripe saying hey we want to buy Indie Hackers and us like having agreed to numbers and have attorneys like drafting a paperwork was like four days. It was like oh, wow, boom, wham, bam, and then <laughs> uh and like a later negotiation that I've gone through. It was what you're talking about, like two, three months of like tense conversations. This might not happen. <laughs> Prepare for the worst case scenario uh, before things like concluded. I think that's like that's how I know I did the first one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Casual <laughs> <too> conversations well. <laughs> about
0: like, oh, we, we could just walk away, like just like feeling that heat, right, that, yeah, what yeah. we didn't feel in the original. Yeah, yeah. They
1: <laughs> should they should push hard enough where like it might not work. Otherwise, you're, you're giving up too easy.
0: Yeah, you haven't
2: found the line yet, right? You haven't found their actual line, and they haven't found yours. um, Exactly. (laughs) In that
3: process. The the other two things that I thought were interesting is, I think we, at least I learned in this, like we would ask for something from the guys we ended up working with, and they would just say no. And I was like, oh, wow, they're pushing back pretty aggressively, and we're still interested. So, you know, there are ways to push back and not turn the other party off. And then two, I thought it was destiny when they invited us to dinner, and it was the same restaurant that Sean went to when he closed his twitch deal i was like oh this is, is. this is Ooh. happening wow uh, sean was that by Do they know that
2: no both in both cases it's the other party who said come let's meet here and it just happened to be the same restaurant in Whoa. san francisco i need to start eating uh, both at this place. times It was kind of crazy
1: <laughs> well listen guys you've taken up a lot of your time uh thanks a ton for coming on the show sharing the story of the milk road um where can people go to find out you know what's next for you guys what are you guys working on where where should people go
2: Yeah. So we're brewing something up that I think is going to be pretty fun. And I think right now the place to do that is to go subscribe to the newsletter. I actually want to publish a lot more about the Milk Road story. So the origins, the how we grew it, the how we sold it um, story. So I'm going to publish that. If you just go to uh, just go to seanpourie.com. So it's S-H-A-A-N P-U-R-I. So I don't know if you guys put that in the description or yep, something. Yep. Just go there, put your email in, and that's where we're going to send that. And me and Ben are going to start putting out a bunch more kind of amazing content. Like I'm basically going to not start another business. I'm mm. just going to put out incredible content um, for the next like edit a few years.
3: Ben, what about you? Where, where are you at? I'm on Sean's list too, but uh, I, I've been guest posting. I wrote my first one last week, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Ben M. Levy. I need to get rid of that M. I need to make my Twitter handle better. <laughs> but for now, Ben M. Levy. Yeah, who's got
2: Ben Levy? Who
3: is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Awesome. See ya.